Welcome uh, to the YPN podcast, your property network podcast with me, Ant Lyons, and me, Karen Owen. And we've got a good friend of ours on the call this morning, no stranger to the pages of YPN. Uh, so uh, expert HMO investor, landlord, um, and, and many other things in between. Uh, so Peter Licarinas, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been an interesting call offline. We've covered. <laughs> we've covered. We've covered everything and under the wow. sun in about I feel like, ten minutes. I feel I know you guys so well now. <laughs> well, what listeners to the podcast will um, will not be aware of is that we record these with with video on, and and Harold has some very suspicious looking equipment. In the back, I have belts hanging from my clothes. Like, rail. Apparently, they're leather belts that look suspiciously <laughs> like a, a harness of some sort, and I don't know what the green and white object is. I'm not going to ask. Oh, that that's a bag for shoes. Is it? Yeah, that's a shoe bag. Is it? Really? Look, it looks like just under the cabinet, there's a there's like a, a black ball. Yeah, don't don't go there, Peter. Don't, don't go there. Don't, <laughs> so okay so we've been talking about the joys of dealing with builders and the joys of um and and specifically uh sparkies for me this morning so um it's not what we're going to be talking about today so um we're going to be talking about top tips for investing in hmos now hmo has been buzzword in property investing for uh a number of years but peter's been doing longer this than uh, uh, doing this longer than, than most of us um so maybe a potted history of you know how you got into this and and, and why I guess. Yeah, of course. I'm, I mean, I'm very lucky. I'm <clears throat> I'm only 42 years old, but I've been in property for 22 of those. Um, I met my first ever mentor and now my best friend James May in a pub 23 years ago. Um, the James May is it? Not 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 from Top Gear, <laughs> no. Unfortunately, well, <laughs> no. he does drive an Aston Martin, so it could be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And he said, look, come and work my company, you'd be great. And then within 10 years, I was a director of the company shareholder. Um, I set up a property investors club where I helped mentor investors and help investors build their portfolios. Um, done that for 12 years. And from that, really started investing myself, um, started progressing our, our companies, started doing some small developments as well. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, time flies, doesn't it? But I must have bought, you know, over 400, <clears throat> over 400 properties for investors, most of which are HMOs. We've been doing HMOs for almost a decade now. So although it's a buzzword today, to me, something, you know, that we've been doing for a long, long time. The only thing that's changed is we've evolved. Our, the, the way we do HMOs have evolved. And I'd like to think we're doing them very differently and to another level than 99.9% people in the country because of that. Um, it also means I've, in 22 years, I've collected a lot of friends, a lot of business partners, um, and I've got a huge team of support around me. And, you know, I don't ever claim to be the best and better than everyone else, but I claim to have the best people around me. And I think that's what my, certainly my USP is, having the best people around me to provide something special to, to property investors. Um, had a bit of a life-changing situation four or five years ago, sold my shares in the estate agency and then just went out on my own. I'm setting up HMO on steroids, HMO Premier, um, part of the Heritage Investment Group, um, joining forces with Mark and Jackie in Property Master Academy, a property education company. And being honest now, <clears throat> I thought when I lived my, uh, when I when I set up my own companies, I thought life would be easier and I'd work less. I yeah. work more. Um, <laughs> I never have a spare moment, but I love what I do. 
it's on my terms, you know, and, you know, every day is a joy being completely honest. Okay. Well, that's good. When you said, you know, in, in 22 years, I've collected a lot of, I thought you were going to end that sentence with rent. And I thought, <laughs> that's a quite a cool statement, actually. That would have been really funny. So, but, but I guess that's true as well. So, um, okay, now you operate in an area of the country that is, it, you know, it's not, um, would it be fair to say that, you know, traditional buy-to-let, single-lets, that they're not really going to wash their faces because of the sort of capital values and stuff like that, that, you know, the buildings are just more expensive. Uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, there's been so many changes in the property market over the past 22 years, but I think the buy-to-let market now really is, is very hard to, to make uh, a substantial amount of money from because, because of the purchase prices, because of a tax, um, because of the stamp duty in, the tax when, if you want to sell, you, you know, the sections that you can't claim on anymore against what you used. It's, it's just very difficult. So I think the buy-to-let market is definitely dead in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, definitely in terms of the cash flow model, it doesn't really work. Owning them in your personal name, you know, we've covered this a number of times. So, so your model, and we're going to get to understand a bit uh, uh, more about that today, is, you know, it's a cliche really, but, you know, making those assets, having quality assets, but sweating them, getting the, 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 the best out of them, owning cash cows. Yeah, there's, there's four or five things we look for in our model. Um, that is immediate yield, um, high income, um, return on capital of at least 25%, um, adding value to the property. And although we're not investing for long-term capital today, we are investing for long-term capital in 10 to 20 years. Mm. So we're looking predominantly at areas where they, they're either going through redevelopment, there's plans for them to be redeveloped, they're expanding. We're, we're looking for probably, there's a combination of around 30 to 40 KPIs we look at when we invest our money and put our investors money in an area because if you're going to build a, a portfolio of 10 15 properties <clears throat> in 10 years 15 years why would you not want that portfolio to double in value and i've always lived with three or four basic rules in property investment uh, and that's i don't buy north um, my first ever property was in newcastle um, i think there's there, you can make money up north but it's just not my model it's not enough money for what i'm looking to do I don't buy new and I don't buy apartments. So I never have done. Um, but I think the HMO model just takes it up two or three gears where you can get all of the things I mentioned a moment ago in one single investment. And that's you know, very hard to do unless it's in the right area with the right type of property. Okay, well, let's talk about understanding the area because this is kind of top tips, top tip number one, really, isn't it? Of understanding the area you're investing. And that doesn't necessarily need to be where you live, but you need to have an understanding of the, the fundamentals. So as an example, I've got quite a number of investment properties in Plymouth, which is about I don't know, 120 miles from where I, I am. Um, and the specifically the HMO market there has changed massively um, in that they've had lots of purpose-built student uh, blocks built and and the university has decreased in the, in the number of students. So you've seen the student landlords now chasing after the, in, in inverted commas, young professional market, but there's not that much work there. There's not ma that many young professionals. So I've seen there a lot of people chasing the market down. I've seen some people buck that trend and have an absolute premium product and, and they seem to be doing okay. Um, so in, in your, when we're trying to assess the area, what are you looking at? The, the level of demand, where people are going to be working? What, what, what do you want to know? That, that is a brilliant question. And where, where a lot of people go wrong 
is they generalize what they're looking for from an area. And you know, as an investor yourself, the first thing you've got to consider is who your client is, who, who your demographic is. Um, are you going to be renting to students? Are you going to be renting to key workers? Are you going to be renting to professionals? Because that changes everything. Um, I, my, my niche is professionals. The reason we work with professionals is <clears throat> that we're in a high net worth area. Berkshire, Hampshire, Surrey, you know, it's a high net worth area. There's a lot of people with a lot of money. And, you know, eight or nine years ago, it started to become more socially acceptable to rent property, not necessarily buy it. Well, now it's becoming more socially acceptable to rent a room and be part of a family. <clears throat> and we're taking full advantage of that and providing something that not many people are. So our, our demographic is professionals. So what are we looking for? Um, I, I go through the past decade. I look at 10, 10 years worth of figures and I look at the trends and what does that show me? Um, I then look at the future. What does the future tell me? I look at the regeneration plans. You know, we're, we're, we're investing our, uh, in an area at the moment. They spent over one billion pounds on a regeneration project over the past two years and it's continuing for the next two years. I mean, that is a no brainer when you're putting your money into a new area. We look at pricing, we look at the access to the tenants. You know, I know, I know I need access to 10,000 professionals um, to, to fill three or 400 rooms. And we've got that, okay? And when we go into a new area, we make sure we're going to continue to find them. Um, transport links, you know, a lot of people get carried away with the crossrail. And while, while the crossrail is important, and it does add value to an investment area, I've seen people put a lot of money into areas like Maidenhead, where the crossrail's gone in, they've got, you know, very excited. But unfortunately, Maidenhead doesn't really have many of the other 30 or 40 KPIs we, we look for in an area. So a crossrail on its own does not make a good investment area. Um, we look at salary, we look at what wages, we look at education. Um, I mean, there's so many things we, we look at. I, I, I wanted to ask, sorry, I was gonna say about pricing, room pricing, um, what kind of determines that? Because is it, are you sort of saying, okay, well in this area I can rent, uh, let's say a bit of a crap, one bed flat for, six, seven hundred pounds, eight hundred pounds a month, whatever it's going to be. And then I factor in the cost of the bills and it's going to be a, a grand a month or whatever it's going to be, seven, eight hundred quid, whatever the number is. So my choice as, as a tenant, as a young professional, and I'm very much not probably neither of those myself, but um, well, yeah. uh, <laughs> older than you, older than you, so still young. Um, so does that, am I looking at that figure and saying, do you know what, I can live in a bit of a rubbish house, a bit of a rubbish flat on my own, or, or for the same money, or maybe even a little bit less, I can have my bills included, I can live in a nice area, and I can have a nice house, and I can live with other like-minded people. Is that, yes. does you roughly equate? So when I say pricing, if I can come back to your, the answer to your question for one moment, but when I say pricing, the, the other part of pricing I'm talking about is the actual purchase price. Um, we're looking at areas where purchase prices over the next five to 10 years have got space to go up. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. I'm Reading in Berkshire. Um, we were investing in there 12 years ago. We stopped investing in Reading about eight years, about sorry, about two years ago after about eight to 10 years. And people are still investing their money there now. The reason we stopped is that really reached its peak and property prices are, you know, for a free four bedroom house, 
that can work for a HMO, you're paying up to 600 grand. We've gone into areas where we know we can get those types of properties for around three to 400,000 pounds. And we know that the regeneration plans of the towns and the cities that we're invested in will take those prices to six or 700,000 pounds in five to 10 years. And that's how we're very cleverly getting that capital appreciation. And I think I'm blessed really. One, one thing we did in the state agency is we looked at KPIs every day. And that has taught me to understand markets, understand when to get in, when to get out, and try and determine what they're going to do, even predict what they're going to do. To some extent, I can do that. So that's a huge advantage for the investors working with me. Coming back to the rental side of things and the rental prices, you're completely right. People would rather rent a hotel standard um, bedroom. I mean, our rooms, people move in, they've already got bedding on. It's almost like serviced accommodation to some extent. They've got 40 inch digital televisions, Cat5 as well as Wi-Fi. So the Wi-Fi goes down, they plug into Cat5. And they're living with other professionals. The bathrooms, the kitchens are just stunning. And they're going in there and they're enjoying themselves and meeting new people. And when you look at the demographic we're dealing with, professionals, a lot of them will get up at seven, have breakfast, go to work, get home at seven, have dinner, watch television, go on their laptop, go to bed, go to work. So they're not spending a huge amount of time in the property. And because they're spending five, five fifty on a good quality, gorgeous room, they're potentially saving two or three hundred pounds a month that they would have been spending, as you said, on a on, on, a, on an average one bed apartment or in a nice nicer area with a nice one two bedroom apartment they could be renting for 1200 quid so they're saving 700 pounds and you'll be surprised how many professionals certainly in our area single professionals there are and of course more and more people nowadays unfortunately are actually splitting up and a lot of our tenants are single professionals that are coming out of a relationship that can't afford to go on the housing ladder on their, on their own. And I'll be honest with you, they want to go in and be part of the family. Because we put the right five or six people in our HMOs, it becomes like a little family. And when, we talk about, when we talk about knowing the area, um, quite often online, there's a lot of talk about sort of market saturation. And um, I, I never really know if I believe that this is a thing or, or not. What are your thoughts? You know, are... Is it such a thing or are we just competing on quality or should we be concerned about the level of competition in an area? Yeah, I think that's a really good, good, good answer. And I can only answer your questions from my personal experience, which is the right way to do it on facts and figures. And if I tell you that Reading five years ago had 400 rooms available, and if you go on go, go on to Right Move today alone and look at rooms or you go onto some of the other websites, you collaborate how many rooms in Reading, there's almost 2,000. So if you do your research carefully, um, then you, you'll know when an area is saturated and you'll know when to come out. The mistakes people make is they do a little bit of research and they think that's enough and it's not. We have a team that researches all our areas on a weekly basis, performs a report over a month, over a year, so we can naturally see all the changes in the market and the trends in the market and know when to get in or when to get out. Well, that's, I'm, I'm actually really glad you talked about when to get out because on yeah, top I was of, about to say that, that kind of segues nicely on to number two. Dovetails nicely um, to number two. Which so, is to understand the strategy and know your exit plan. Yeah, so when, uh, you know, what, what, I guess, you know, your, you, your clients, you know, um, 
what are they looking at in terms of a, an exit plan or, or are they saying, do you know what, this is it, this is me for good, you know, I'm going to buy 10 of these things or whatever and then I'm effectively going to retire and I'm just going to sit there and the cash is going to come in or that is there a, a five or a 10 year plan to, to exit? What is there a typical, um, you know, game plan, I guess? Yeah, it's a really good question. I, I guess it's different for each investor. Some investors want to leave their limited companies um, or their properties to their family members. Some want to cash in five years, some want to cash in in 10 years. I mean, one thing we, we, we say at the beginning is, if you're looking to take your money out of your property in the first year, we don't want to work with you because I think the, the property market has changed considerably and people that want to get rich quick or they think they can buy a property and get their money out quickly, for me, that's not investing, that's gambling. And we tend not to work with those type of investors, especially in the type of economic climate that, we are, that we're in today. So we're looking to work with investors that are really working for the long term. Does that make sense? Yeah, mm. sure. But um, I, I guess your own stance on this, yeah? So with yeah. your own investments, are these... Now, I had this plan when I was starting out in property that I'll buy X number of properties and then over a period of time, I'll sell off half of them, I'll pay off half of them and I'll be left with an unencumbered portfolio and then uh, that'll be retirement for me. Now, things change, you know, don't they? And your lifestyle, you know, you, it, it creeps up and up and up and, um, you know, the, and, and, and actually the, the economic environment changes. So things change. What's yours? Are you, are you in this to say, do you know what, I'm happy to be leveraged for, you know, uh, forever? Or is there a longer term game plan with your own investments? For, for me, I think it's paying off the debt, um, pay, paying down the debt as, as much as you can, as quickly as you can. Um, and then obviously, if you, if you leave it a certain period of time, 10, 15 years, then naturally those properties are going to go up in value. And then I think it gives you two or three different exit plans because of that. Um, not all investors are the same, going back to what I said a moment ago, some want to get their money back out, reinvest it, and their exit plan is potentially in 15 to 20 years, so it's a, it's a bit longer, but that still works as well. And what we're quite clever with, the way we do our HMOs, which the council love us for, is when we're converting the property into a HMO, we're adding value to the property as a house as well, and we're converting it in a way where it can be converted very, very easily back to a, a family home. So first, first will love us because we do it that way. And secondly, it gives a, the investor a plan B if necessary and when necessary for, for an yeah, that was That sort of leads on to, well, my question was, how important do you think it is to have plan Bs? Uh, just in case, I don't know, the area sort of, I don't know, something happens and like everybody wants to move out of that area, yeah. for example. Um, I was just going to say, Harry, actually, we, we see this quite a lot in the student areas that actually you've got a house, that you think, oh, well, you know, if the student market doesn't work out, whatever, I'll convert it back to a family home and, and you may not be able to from a planning point of view, but also no families want to live there, a studentville. Um, mm. So that's, I, I guess that's, that's something you need to think about, the, you know, how flexible is this property in terms of its uses? Uh, that, that, again, really good question. I, I think student HMOs, for me, is the Stone Age. I think we're in a, an era where that is changing. More purpose-built student accommodation is being, is being put up everywhere. That's the future. And more Article 4 is going up everywhere because of the student accommodation. And I think with all our investors' money, we always make sure they have a plan A and B. But the most important plan is plan C. 
So you need at least a plan A, B and C for every investment. And the way we're doing our HMOs, the demographic we're targeting, working with professionals, we've got an A, B and C and it's easy. And it's easy and that's the future of HMOs. They, they wanna pay more money, the investor gets more money, they get better accommodation, you get houses that are looked after, you can convert them in a way which allows them to be put back into a family home. It's just, uh, it's, it's just done properly. It's beautiful. Mm. So, so, what is, so plan A is obviously renting out to the young professionals. Plan B would be to convert it back into a house and then either let it as a single let or put yes. it back on the market. So what would plan C be? Uh, well, plan A is actually, plan A is buying the property below market value and it's adding value to the property. So you're already, if you do this right, you should already, in whatever market you're dealing with, have 15% equity in that property because you're buying it below market value. You're buying the right style of house in the right area that can be that you can add value to. That's plan A. So mm-hmm. the market changes. If anything changes, you've already you're, you've already won. You've already got 50000 pounds forced equity in that property. That's a game changer. Plan B, obviously, running it as a HMO. Um, we've never been refused a license. Um, ever um, we've got 100% occupancy on all our rooms at the moment with professional tenants um, and I mean the numbers we're getting for rooms are outstanding so providing you do your research plan B should work for at least a decade but obviously plans plan C is it can convert comfortably back into a family home and there's a plan D but I'm not going to tell you about that <laughs> okay. Ominous. <laughs> Mysterious. So, okay. So this bit about crunching the the the, the numbers and, and and then and then double checking them. So top, so top tip number three. Um, sometimes I think people are just they don't even know what numbers to check. They don't even know what they should be looking at or you know how much it's going to cost to 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 set a property up so it's it's suitable for four, five, six people to live in. So let's, let's do a bit of a rattle through, shall we, on, on the sorts of numbers you should be looking at, you know, when you're doing the desktop appraisal, the, the back of a fag packet uh, uh, kind of appraisal of, of uh, uh, a view. So, so we've got the value of the property now and after, I guess. Um, I've done one. The rest are down to you, Peter. <laughs> What's next? <laughs> Um, so let's look at some numbers. So when we're looking at an investment, we're looking at the, the amount of the, the deposit needed, obviously. Um, at the moment, it's at least 20% on a typical HMO. Um, but some investors, some of our investors buy cash, some put, put more in. My advice is put as much as possible. Obviously, you want your money to go as far as possible, but put as much money as you can into each deal. Stamp duty, and obviously you've got the additional 3%, which is a killer. Um, will Boris do something or will, will the government do something about that? Well, certainly not until next year, but that's a killer at the moment, but it is what it is. And then you've got fees, legal fees, financial fees, um, fees for the sourcing agent or management agent, and, and then the reverb. For me, with the reverb, this is where a lot of investors go wrong. I'm very lucky. I've got probably around 40 staff that, that work within our, our business, split between three refurbishment companies, two of which we work with for five years. So we've got a really good relationship. On every single job, we get at least two quotes, detailed quotes, um, which we sit down and go through everything with them. Uh, and then we get different ideas and we can compare prices. And I would always put on top of the price an additional 
whatever price you get for the refurb, put on an extra 10% um, and make sure it's a detailed refurb. Otherwise, some of the companies out there, unfortunately, will quote, will quote you something to win the business. And then all of a sudden, because they haven't given you a detailed quote, there's four or five additional jobs or work that needs doing. And you end up, you know, end up, ends up costing you 15 to 20,000 pounds. Because once it's started, you can't pull out. So for me, the refurb, very, very important. And you've got to be very careful about that. A lot of people forget about furniture in a HMO. It's actually quite a lot of money. And if you stick, if you spend £500 on a room, then that's the type of tenant you're going to get. That's all I'm going to say. And if you're aiming for professionals and you spend £500 on a room, then it's not going to work. As simple as that. Yeah. Our professionals have hotel standard rooms. We spend £1,500 per room. Um, they're, they're outstanding so obviously the cost of furniture um, and then when you look at the numbers over a month you, you've really got to break them down you've got to be careful of council tax a lot of people have been putting four or five on suites in their uh, HMOs trying to be clever but in a lot of counties now and this is going to roll out across the UK at some point um, if you have more than four on suites in a property you have to pay council tax in every single room well I know investors that didn't take our advice five years ago and are having to sell their portfolios now because with the council tax ruling, they, they're just not making any profit. So you've really got to be careful about that. Um, and then the usual broadband. I mean, the, the most important thing you put in a property is internet. And you can't, you can't do, do it cheap. You've got to get the best possible broadband. That obviously costs money. Insurances, that costs money. Water, gas, electric. The usual stuff that costs money and um, the mortgage obviously the management and uh, the maintenance utilities i mean cleaning gardening that there is so much to consider and we have a huge spreadsheet that we bang our numbers in uh, and work through them with the investors because you know this yourselves guys you, you, in property investing the one thing that has never changed and will never change is you make your money when you buy if you buy a good investment making your money if you buy a bad investment you're losing your money you make or lose your money when you buy um, yeah the um that 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 list it's quite a con- long and comprehensive list actually of, of what you need to factor in and um the other bit is you said earlier on you've got 100 percent occupancy on your or your, your rooms which because a lot of people don't factor in void periods or the fact that these might happen so i'm really interested how do you how do you other than having the right product and that's got to be a large part of it how do you ensure that you know when i don't know whoever leaves someone else is, is is there and they're going to be moving in um so what's the secret to that yeah good good question so firstly we get on with our tenants we work with them and we look after them so when they want to leave then they're amenable and they work with us in trying to find a tenant which makes a massive difference if your tenants don't like you then trying to do a viewing when they want to leave is, in, is impossible. So, so getting on with the tenants is, is absolutely important. Um, all our tenancies are on ASTs. So the minimum term of um, a, a room is six months. Our, our, our average is 11 months, which is way above the industry standard and we're quite proud of, um, but a lot stay for two or three years. Um, so getting on with the tenant. But in our AST, they have to give us a certain notice period and as soon as they give us that notice period, we have that period of time to fill the room. And if you're on the ball and you're marketing it properly and you're getting on with that tenant, it's easy. Honestly, it's easy. But, but done badly, it's, it can be impossible. 
Now, a lot of people outsource the management side of it to um, uh, letting agents uh, and some of whom claim to, 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 to do HMO management well. Um, I've, I've had some experience of this. And <laughs> How's that been for you? Terrible, oh, yeah? it's been a pain in the ass. Yeah. So, um, you know, why has it been a pain in the ass? I don't know. Do you know what? I think mainly it's never in, never as much in their interest as it is in mine to keep those rooms filled. And um, I don't think they've been specialists in those areas, particularly. They, they've sort of been letting agents who also do a bit of this. Um, and, and that's been a mistake. And, and that, I guess that also comes into our top tip number four. Where it says, speak to the experts and use their knowledge. Now, this is a bit of a dangerous one, actually, in property, right. because you, you and I both know, we all know that in property, everybody's a bloody expert, aren't they? You know, you can't <laughs> go on Facebook and everybody knows so much more than anybody else. And um, for me, I've always said, I want to learn from someone who's doing this not someone who claims to be an expert in every area because nobody is, are they? No one's an expert in everything. So I want to learn from someone who's done this and, and done it numerous times. Um, you must have seen this. You must have seen people purporting to be experts in every area of property. hundred percent. And this goes back to what I said to you guys at the beginning. Um, I've been in property 22 years. I consider myself experienced but I'm learning every day as well as everyone else. And because I have that attitude, my businesses are always evolving, but most people don't and they think they know it all. You're right. Not only that, I, I, I wouldn't be what I am. My businesses wouldn't be what they are without better people than me around me. And I surround myself with like-minded business partners. I surround myself with people that are experts in their own field. So when an investor comes to us and they, they meet me and if we choose to work with them, then we find that property, we help them get it below market value, we then see it through with our, with our legal team and our finance team to completion. On completion, our refurb teams will go in there, they're literally the day of completion, do exactly what they set out to and said they were gonna do. On the day that that's finished, we've already applied for the HMO license, and our marketing team are already marketing the property and renting the rooms out. Um, so we literally have professionals in every step of the HMO process, to make sure we're ring fencing the safety of our investors and their money and their investments. And that, honestly, that, that, has, that, has, been, that, has, that has been 22 years in the making to have and find those people to be able to work with. Mm. Uh, and it's so important. And, you know, I, work, I used to work for an estate agency and we managed over 3,000 properties and they were probably the best letting agent in Berkshire. But what they were terrible at is managing rooms. And 99% of estate agents are, are terrible at managing rooms because it's, it's difficult. It's completely diff different from managing a, a buy-to-let or a single property or a family. And some of the smaller independent agents are starting to do it now. There's a, a big agent in Berkshire that's started to do it now because they realise that this is a growing industry. Now HMOs are growing. They're not going anywhere. Um, but, you know, if you look back and you look back over the years, estate agents just don't know how to manage rooms. And we've got our, our business partners that manage all our rooms are simply amazing. The effort they put in. I've got, I've got, I've got a really specific question on this. And Harry and I were talking about this yesterday because it was something we were really, really keen. Yeah, we were. Um, <laughs> got on already. Um, so we were saying when you put like six people in a house together, yeah. And you, you want to make sure that, you know, as best as possible, these are going to be six people that, that get on and, uh, you know, not going to be 
uh, fighting and falling out and, you know, generally being a pain in the ass to each other and, and you at, at the same time. So how do you go about um, trying to get a, a harmonious household? Um, so I, with your sort of, you know, I'm either the owner or the, the, the agent on this, how do I make sure that A, I get the right people in there in the first place and B, that there are some guidelines or whatever in place so that it's a happy household? Yeah, this is probably single-handedly the most important decision that you will make uh, as a landlord and where a lot of the estate agents go wrong or investors working with agents, the agents just want to get as many people in there as quickly as possible to get their money. Now, that is the absolute opposite way to how you should work with a HMO. We are extremely fussy. We know exactly what we want. And yes, we do all the, the checks you'd expect us to do on people. Um, but nowadays, you can see what people are like in their behaviours through social media, um, which, which is available to, for everybody to see. Um, and we meet every single tenant. Kevin, who I trust implicitly, who manages our tenants, he meets every single tenant and he makes sure that he is happy with them, however much pressure he's under to, to fill that room. And also he makes sure that they will fit with the other four or five people in that property. Um, we manage our rooms like anyone else would. However, we also manage our rooms on a WhatsApp group, which we've added on for the last couple of years. So everybody, every tenant is part of that WhatsApp group. So is the managing agent. So am I. And we can see and we can communicate with everybody transparently together. And if one person is not doing the washing or if one person is slipping out of line and we communicate it across a WhatsApp group, no one wants to be embarrassed. No one wants to feel stupid. And we get everybody working together. We create a harmonious house and a happy household. And it's lovely. It's really, really... Do you give them any kind of guidelines at all when they move in or? Yeah, so I'd love to show you the way we do it, but in their bedroom, they have house rules. Um, when, when a new tenant moves in, we have a frame on the wall, house rules, and then we have a bottle of wine, a Malbec or a Sancerre, welcome them into the property. You walk through to the kitchen, we've got kitchen rules. When the waste goes out, um, all the important things. You go into the laundry area, we have laundry rules. So we're, we're psychologically, we're teaching these tenants how to behave without them realising because they're looking at these things every day. And because they like us, we're getting on with them, they, they, want, to, they want to work with us. It's, you know, I, I, I really, really enjoy our tenants in our HMOs. And if you had asked me that question six years ago, I really didn't have, dealing with tenants was really tough, but now it's a joy. Okay. What sort of house rules do you do? Because I've heard of people who do, um, you know, really, really tough ones. And you sort of go, you know, you have to ask the landlord's permission before you have anybody come round for, you know, before you have a boyfriend round or um, yeah, so many like really strict rules. So I'm just wondering, like, you know, where would that, do you would that include, do you think that would include like not leaving your harness hanging up in a public area? <laughs> 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 I definitely want to. I definitely want to rent that room. Though. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like yeah. I'm never going to be able to live this down now. Yeah, I think that's that's extremely important. And I think it's like when you manage a member of staff, it's exactly the same. Give, give them responsibility. Yeah, D don't try and take that away from them. Let them be in charge of the house and feel responsible and feel good about it. Don't try and dictate. 
And what you'll, what you'll find is you can get five or six people in a HMO dictating to each other and working together. So we try and have as little authority as possible, but we just try and give them the rules because it benefits them, not us. And if it benefits the tenant, not the landlord, then they're going to be on board. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It creates a better household, nicer living accommodation for them. So, you know, we're very flexible with the rules. If, if somebody wants someone to stay a night, that's fine. I mean, we, we go by the book, which they can stay two nights a week, okay? And they can never leave that person in the house or the room on their own. And, you know, they're, they're happy with that. And I think we always try and work with the tenants and be as flexible as we can. And because of that, they, they work really well with us as well. Yeah. Other rules, the general, you know, when the bins go out. Yeah, I was going to say, um, a lot of these are, I guess, they're fairly common sense, but sometimes common sense is is, is quite rare. So, um, you know, it's about having a bit of respect for for each other. Yeah, and you say that, you say, I mean, it is common sense, yes, but I've never been into a HMO where I've seen frames on the walls with the rules of the house and directions of how to manage a house. So I've never seen that. And, and we, we do that to be different, to stand out and to, and to remind them what the, the, the common sense rules are. But mm. you'll, you'll be surprised how many households or HMOs become dirty, disgusting, badly run because the tenants don't know how to behave. So we're just teaching yeah. the, the tenants how to behave. Let's, let's, talk, let, let's talk a little bit about legislation, um, regulation, uh, you know, authority, uh, as it were, when it comes to HMOs, because I have never seen a topic as, as misunderstood in property as licensing and planning. Article four, you know, these these seem to be three words that get so muddled up in the new HMO, aspiring HMO investors mind. So can you give us a little bit of clarity on what we should be looking at? Yeah, of course. I think probably, hello. I think probably the most important part of my team are my geeks. And my, wife, my wife just bought me some cupcakes. Oh, very pleasant. How, how lucky. Where, where do I get a wife like that? I don't know. <laughs> I'll try and pass you a cupcake. That's not going to work. I'll have to eat it. So. <clears throat> you can have mine. You can have my wife. It's fine. So, not really. You nearly heard that. Um, okay. So let's get yeah, Sorry. Some, cupcake break. Some of the most important parts of legislation, some of the most important parts of our team are our geeks. And the first person that I got on board when I, when I started taking our HMO business to another level was the, uh, an old HMO officer in Berkshire, worked for the council for 10 years. Um, he wrote a HMO license for Reading 10 years ago. Um, and this guy, is nothing this guy doesn't know about HMO's legislation. And everyone thinks the HMO legislation changed in October last year, which it did. But the truth is it's changing every day. It's changing every month. And, you know, not so long ago, we changed all our fire doors in all our properties because we wanted them to be above and beyond the, the, the minimum standard. And not, I'd probably say, you probably know this, Anne, but 60% of HMO landlords are doing it wrong, badly or illegally. Um, and they're not listening to legislation. Um, you know, so you know what? Legislation- I, think, I think a lot of that happens, and you, you would know better than I do, but I think a lot of that happens because for most people, including me, you know, you've got another business or you've got a day job or whatever it is. And this is just another thing you're doing. This is a sort of sideline. So I'm buying these HMOs or buying these investment properties alongside what I ordinarily do. And therefore I don't have necessarily, or I believe I don't have the time or the expertise or whatever 
to understand this stuff. Um, and I, I think that's why it happens. I don't think it people are, you know, on purpose being ignorant of it or ignoring this stuff. They just don't really know where to start. Then I agree with that. Then you need to pay to work with experts who are going to look after your best interests and take care of you, take care of your assets. Because mm. if you go to court and you've been running an illegal HMO and they're not going to say to you, do you know what? Because, you, because you're a hard worker, because this isn't your main business, we won't put you in prison. They will put you in prison now. There's, there's four or five landlords that have gone to prison for over a month in the last year because they're running illegal HMOs and they haven't listened to the advice they've been taken and fines, you know, 20, 30,000 pounds. So I understand what you're saying and I agree with you, but yeah. I think it's, not, it's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. Landlords and investors out there can't be yeah. ignorant to the facts because yeah. they could end up with huge fines or even imprisonment. So go out there, get someone to look after your interests, pay a managing agent, pay for the professionals and do it properly. That's, that's my advice. Always do it properly. Okay, good advice, Mike. Okay, so when we move on to our last sort of um, top tip, and we talked about this one a bit, really, is you, you talk about targeting your tenants and standing out. Now, targeting tenants, I think this is a really interesting one because I've definitely worked with agents before in the past. And I, I remember actually saying, uh, I remember I was selling a property a few years ago and um, I wasn't hugely impressed by the agent that came out. I said, well, look, you know, I'll, I want to move this on. I want to use the money from this one into another project. So I'm, I'm less fussy about the price than I am about the speed, okay? So what can you do to make sure this one moves on quickly? And he went, well, you know what? We're on Rightmove and Zoopla. And I was like, okay, that's it. Wow. <laughs> I really push the boat out, aren't Really, you really, oh my God, well, here are the keys. Um, and, and you know, what I did in the end is I took, you know, I said, you know what? I'm looking at this. I'm going to compare it to the other properties in the market. I spent 10 grand. I, I, I gave it a, a refresh. So it looked like a new property. So I competed against the new build development up the road, but I was about 40 grand less. Um, and I thought, that's your job. That's his job to sort of, you know, I could see it was tired. I could see it needed something, but the, the you know, we're on right move and Zoopla. <laughs> and like that. He genuinely thought that was a selling, selling point. Um, <laughs> So this, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that actually some people out there, letting agents and estate agents, they are doing the bare minimum, aren't they? They're, they're list Sometimes they're not even listing the properties. I don't know what they're doing. They're hoping someone's just going to find out. Before I, um, before I managed all, um, all my clients' HMOs myself for them, um, we, used to, we used to have an agreement with the agents where um, if the agents rented them, we'd pay them a fee, but we'd also do our own thing as well. Um, and you know, a couple of tips for renting HMOs that not a lot of people do, but obviously my demographics professionals, my rooms are always, my investors rooms are always the best available and there is never a better room than me. And if there is, I take note and I improve ours and make them better than anything else out there. What we also have is we have a poster advertised in our rooms, a leaflet, and I drop that into all the HMOs in my area. So the tenants can see that there's a better product for them. And oh, I get nice. I like that's that one. Cheeky. Yeah, that's cheeky. No way. All's fair. All's fair. And, and do, do you know what? It's a free market economy and people can make a choice. And if they want to go for a better product, they're going to do it, aren't they? So I really like that one. We, we also have a recommender tenant scheme where if a tenant recommends a tenant, then we give them £100, Marks and Spencer's vouchers. Oh, and then one of, us will actually, one of us will actually... Uh, 
go into the property and we take a bottle of wine for them and thank them face to face as well. And oh, wow. although that seems a lot for a tenant, but the great thing is good tenants know good tenants. So we get a lot of our tenants from recommendations because of that. Um, I like the 100 quid for Marks and Spencer's vouchers. I think I would probably also spend it on Malbec. That's <laughs> good choice, my favourite bread. That yeah. is 10 to yeah. for £10 meals. Oh, well, I was thinking about our bike, probably four, <laughs> four bottles of Malbec and maybe some socks. <laughs> I don't drink red wine. This, so. this is a real kind of, this is a real, well, Malbec is a red, so, you know. Yeah, I don't drink that, so. Oh, well, I think you said, okay. Right. Okay. Uh, okay, so targeting your tenants. So you can be more proactive than just listing the property. You can, you can go out and actively find these people and, 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 uh, incentivize, incentivize, and and have an army of people going out and finding good customers for you. Um, do you think many other agents do that? No, that's the great thing. I, I know nobody's doing what we're doing because they're lazy. E- even investors, investors aren't necessarily lazy because obviously they want their rooms rented out, but they either don't have the knowledge or the experience or understand how to do it. Or going back to what you said a moment ago, they haven't got the time. So. You know, if you're going to invest in property and HMOs, you either need to have the time or you need to work with people that have got the time. And it goes back to what I said a moment ago. You need someone looking after your interests. You have to. Well, you're going to do it yourself. You're going to go one of two ways, aren't you? You're going to say, do you know what? I'm going to take the time to understand this thing myself. You know, I'm going to do this myself and take it on. And that means I'm going to lose time elsewhere from another business or a job. Or I'm going to buy in the expertise, um, you know, it's similar to the development side of things. When we've done developments, I definitely haven't drawn the architectural plans myself, you know. Do, do you know what? It's surprising. When we, when we set up HR on steroids, we, we were working with a lot of investors that wanted to sort of pick a mix of services that we did and do some of it themselves. Over the last year, what's changed is I would probably say 80% of investors that are coming to us now, they want us to do everything. I think they realised how complicated the HMO process is, but they obviously want the returns, they want the yield, they want the appreciation. So for most of our clients now, we literally do everything. It's completely hands-free for them, and they just literally sit back and they enjoy the profits coming in and, and seeing how well it works. And so if we've got people who listen to the podcast and they want to connect with you, what's the best way of doing that? Yeah, email me. Um, we get a lot of calls every day. Um, so if, if I check my emails at least three times a day and I'll always get back to everyone within 24 hours out of courtesy, um, then probably arrange a telephone consultation with you. Um, and then if it's, you know, if it's going to go further, if, you, if someone wants to work with us or they need further help, then, you know, happily meet for a coffee in one of our offices uh, across Park. So what's, um, um, what's the best email for you? Uh, P. Licorinos. Uh, P-L-I-C-O-U-R-I-N-O-S at heritageinvestmentgroup.co.uk. That may be a, that may be a new record for the longest email address I was we've say, that just given out. Nicely off the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> it's my name, unfortunately, Licorinos. Gets me into all sorts. Do you know what I changed my name? Ant, Anta. That's it. <laughs> maybe I'll maybe I'll change mine to Deck. Yeah, do it, do it. So I got deck. She just brought me the the, the cupcakes. Unfortunately, but if there's a if there's an opening, then I'll let you know. You'll be the first to know. So, uh, okay. And if you listen, is there an easier way that uh, people can get hold of me if they want to? I mean, uh, what about a website address for people to land on as well? So if they're um, so www dot 
hmopremier.co.uk or www.hmoonsteroids.co.uk. Okay, that's brilliant. Okay, and if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast today, then um, Peter Peter's article of top tips for uh, investing in HMOs is in a recent edition of YPN. You can get a free copy of uh, the latest edition of YPN by going to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash free. That's yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash free. Um, I've really enjoyed doing the podcast uh, again today. It's my this genuinely like the favourite part of my uh, of my month. In a minute, I got. I'll go back to uh, arguing with electricians and all that rubbish. So it's been a it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time today. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm.